0: Hello, everyone. I am your host, science fiction author, Crystal Storm. Tonight, we take a deep dive into two fantastical topics that in many people's minds hover in the realm of the unbelievable. Crop circles and unidentified aerial phenomenon, UAPs, also known as UFOs. Is there evidence that points to someone or something other than two drunk men with planks leaving us messages in cornfields around the world? Are we truly alone in the universe, or is there a compelling case to be made in support of Earth having been visited by an advanced species? My special guest, Jason Charbonneau, is a filmmaker who has been researching these topics from an intellectual perspective and creates thought-provoking documentaries in effort to increase the public's understanding of the anomalous phenomenon. We'll get his take on crop circles and UAPs. Come on. Let's take a peek inside Crystal's imagination. And here we go. All right, welcome on in everybody. It is Episode six of Crystal's Imagination Podcast. I am your host, science fiction author, Crystal. uh, And I'm super excited about tonight. I'm so excited. You guys have no idea how excited I am um, to be speaking with a fellow fellow researcher about um, two topics that I have followed long time like a really really long time but you guys don't know this when I first got into doing like live radio I was over on blog talk radio back in the day when you could do an hour long show on blog talk radio for free and anybody who runs a podcast knows what I'm talking about blog talk radio got commercialized like so fast but back in the day like you could you could just get on blog talk radio and do a show and we were talking about Project Blue Book and the Anunnaki and Zachariah Stitchin and all that controversy and crops I just so I mean we've had, I've had so many different guests on the show, so it's it's really exciting to um, for the times that we are in right now to kind of circle back around to these topics that never really went away. But it seems, at least from the UAP perspective, and that is unidentified aerial phenomenon, aka UFOs, it's getting a bit more attention. Um, so my special guest tonight is also no stranger to any of these topics. In fact, he's got a phenomenal YouTube channel called Think Anomalous, pretty sure I'm saying that right, um, (laughs) where he um, has brought these topics down to a documentary level. Um, Jason, thank you so much for being on the show and for producing such an amazing YouTube channel for people to begin to explore these topics.
1: Thank you so much, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jason, you know, let's dive right into this um, because I am especially excited to talk about, you know, your thoughts about crop circles and UAPs, but let's get a little bit into your background. You have a, um, a filmmaker's background and it's apparent in the quality of the videos over on your YouTube channel. So how did you go from filmmaker to, I believe you have a picture of Travis, you hugging Travis Walton, um, on your, on your website as well. So how did, how did those two merge together?
1: Ah, that's a good question. Uh, it really—it uh, might seem intentional, just with my educational background and whatnot. But it—it, it, you know, I—I uh, I wanted to be a history professor originally, uh, coming mm-hmm. out of high school. So I went and did a history degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I originally wanted to be a history teacher, and then I kind of got sucked into academia. I really liked uh, doing research. I really liked historical research. And so I kind of got roped into doing a graduate, I shouldn't say roped in, I willingly did it, but uh, <laughs> I did a master's in history and I was going to go the, you know, the, the whole length and do a PhD. Um, but I kind of got disillusioned with academia. Um, I'd always had a, a kind of hobby of uh, recording music. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm an amateur musician.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so at the time, you know, I was 22 years old, I guess, or 24 years old. And I thought, well, I don't want to do academia anymore. Where do I go? I guess I'll try to make my, my hobby, my career. So I went and did an audio production degree in Toronto
0: mm-hmm. and that's
1: what brought me to the city, Toronto, Canada. And, uh, uh also then got disillusioned with the audio industry. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of interested in like music recording, um uh, right. realized that was just a terrible industry to get into. And, um, I just so happened to land a job in audio post-production, which is uh, sound effects in, in film and TV, and I work as a Foley artist now. So that's uh, that's my day job. But it just so happens that you know my background in history, my um, my training in historical research, and my training in audio production just kind of happened to set me up for making historical documentaries, uh, okay. which is what I started doing. Right. I actually started this channel as a as a project at, uh, during my audio production program. There was a class where we were just supposed to make. Uh, Several iterations of some sort of digital project and one of the options was to do just a YouTube channel And Mm -hmm. so I started a channel called UFO case review. Some of my oldest fans will know that one Um, Did maybe ten iterations of that ten videos or something over a couple years Um, But you know learned a lot about UFOs just just doing that at the time I really only believed in UFOs. I didn't really I wasn't really open to other anomalous phenomena I didn't believe in you know ghosts or crop circles or anything like that but the more research I did into UFOs and the more videos I made the more I realized this is a really complex phenomenon. and if you really want to understand it, you have to know something about other anomalous phenomena. So I had this idea to kind of revamp my channel or you know create a new channel um just about anomalous phenomena more broadly. And anybody who watches the channel will know I still focus on UFOs. That's still kind of my my first love. That's the the subject I know most about. right? Um but I really do believe in drawing connections between different phenomena and understanding UFOs within the context of all anomalous phenomena.
0: That's fascinating. I'm very excited about that, and I'm very excited how maybe we can connect the dots between some of the other um, f- um, phenomenon that you've researched. But um, let's let's kind of start with crop circles because um, uh, it's extremely hard to find someone who can speak with. And I know you said you're a researcher, and that's You know, I feel like we all are. I don't think there's anybody who can really call themselves like a crop circle expert because we just don't know. Um, so where has where has your research taken you on this phenomenon? Because I find it to be just really, really fascinating how it went from kind of this prank of, you know, the the guys in the planks. And now all of a sudden we're seeing some really amazing, complex symbols, I guess you could call them, um, all over the world. Like what, you know, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, just the way that the phenomenon has evolved, you mean, over time?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, that is very interesting. Um, there's a guy named Terry Wilson, a researcher who wrote a book called, um, I believe it's called Old Crop Circles, or um, The Hidden History, oh, I wish I knew this, The Hidden History of Crop Circles, or something like that, but it, it's, it's the, the long history of crop circles. And he's shown that crop circles go back, I mean, at least to the early, early 20th century. There's an old uh, 17th century pamphlet called The Mowing Devil, uh showing uh telling a story of a 17th century farmer who supposedly had his his crop uh chopped down and arranged in a circle overnight um wow and but you know since then there's a few sporadic references to crop circles through the literature i know there's at least one from a a scientific journal in 1880 Mm -hmm. uh there's another journal that mentioned the crop circle in 1937 uh and that's i think when the first picture of a crop circle emerges although it's a very kind of low resolution picture Right. Uh, but then into the 60s and 70s, you actually start getting uh, a lot of pictures of crop circles, a lot of crop circles in Australia, uh, some in uh, Canada here, um, Manitoba, Canada. And there was a, um, uh, I, I believe it was a, a government investigation in the crop circles in the late 70s. Wow. Um, so the, the, the phenomenon has definitely been around for a very long time. Um, but those circles, any photo of a crop circle we have before, let's say, 1980, shows a very simple circle, you know, one circle. Uh, All the crop is kind of laid in a spiral pattern, all in the same direction. Mm -hmm. There's no satellite circles or any other, any other element to the formation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it wasn't until a couple of uh, English guys, um, Pat Delgado and Colin Andrews, uh, just two amateur researchers uh, started researching circles on their own uh, money, on their own time. Right. They got involved in, I think, 80 or 81. And... Uh, at that time, they were starting to see some circles, some multiple circle formations. So, you know, like a central circle with uh, four kind of satellites around like a like the five on a, on a dice kind of formations. Right. Um, but the more research they did, the more circles they studied, the more circles they documented. They realized that they got more complex. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they even suggested, you know, every time they tried to find some pattern to the circles, they said, oh, well, every circle we looked at thus far has been spiraled clockwise. You know, as soon as they identified that pattern, they would then usually within a matter of days or weeks, find another circle that broke that pattern. So they would find a circle that was spiraled counterclockwise. Anytime they said, "Okay, well, you know, circles are never bigger than, let's say, six meters. Well, then they'd find a circle that was 10 meters wide. And they got to the point where they actually felt like they were interacting with an intelligence. They felt like the phenomenon was responding to their investigation almost trying to prove them wrong, like almost tries to evade their logic or evade their rationale. Every time they, they thought they figured it out, right. the phenomenon confused them again. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you know, that's very intriguing. That's a the that's role of the observer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and by the way, that's something that a lot of anomalous phenomena share that there always seems to be some sort of interaction, uh, with the, the observer or the investigator You can maybe mm-hmm. get into that later. Yeah. But yeah. So by, you know, the late eighties, I think, uh, circles started to get pretty complex and especially after about 1990 they started getting super complex and that's when you had uh, Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley these two uh, old English guys that claimed that they'd made all the circles right Um, and after they claimed that now I have a whole video debunking the Bauer and Chorley story I I encourage Mm -hmm. anybody to watch that I go into considerable detail and again, that that borrows from uh, Terry Wilson's research. He's he's got a whole website devoted to de- debunking their um, story.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm convinced that
1: their story is false. They were probably paid by the UK government or MI5 or something right. to uh, concoct that story. It is definitely false. But after that, uh, once you know uh, that that it kind of broke around the world that oh the crop circle phenomenon has debunked. It's all just a bunch of hoaxers. Then it kind of flooded the field with with other hoaxers. And the hoaxers since um, Bauer and Chorley have actually been pretty good, and they've pulled off some some pretty impressive circles. Right. Uh, and I think once those hoaxers got involved and started doing more and more complex circles, the phenomenon again advanced, and itself became more and more complex. Right. Until, like you said, you know, some of the ones we've seen in the last ten or twenty years are just outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is, of course, now with all these hoaxers involved. Uh, it just gets very hard to tell which ones are genuine and which ones are not. And when we could be pretty sure that anything before 1980, especially I would say before 1978, any photo of a crop store could of see before then is genuine. I mean, there were just, there's no evidence that there were any hoaxers going on at that point.
0: Right. Uh, after
1: 1990, the, the, the waters were kind of muddied. And I think that was the intent behind Bauer and Chorley's story.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I can see that. I mean, because you kind of link it to to UAPs. I mean, we don't have to get too deep into a conspiracy theory rabbit hole, but you have to think that, I mean, something that is that just magnificent being seen in places all over the world that obviously probably isn't man-made, there's a vested interest in maybe not letting that out until... Someone in charge feels like it's time for that information to be public. And, You know whether it's a national security issue or this, that, and the other. We can speculate, um, but it would make sense that that kind of disinformation would move through it. in your In your research, have you found kind of? I know you said that it's especially now it's really hard to tell between people who are making them versus you know those that are you know genuine. Have you found any sort of 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 a way that there is a way to to depict you know a real crop circle versus one that some guy made.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There absolutely is. Um uh, the genuine circles, um, first of all, the crop is never actually broken. So when you take a, a, a board or a, you know an iron bar or whatever Bower and claimed to have used, uh, you break the, the crop. I mean there's no way to just step on a board, not right. crop over and not break the stalks, especially something as, as frail as as wheat or corn as they call it in the UK. Right um so genuine circles you actually see the stock is is bent and usually right at the base where the where the stock is the thickest right and most robust mm-hmm. and especially in crops like rapeseed which has a very thick and very brittle stock you, you know if you try to bend rapeseed with your hand you won't be able to it'll snap right like all these circles just about every single plant in these circles is bent over to the point where it actually resists being picked up again if you try to lean over it and pick these plants up again they'll naturally just swing back down to their laid down position. Okay. Um, and you'll see that all the entire formation is laid in kind of, it looks like it was laid in one continuous motion. So there's kind of a flow to it. So if it's a circle, it's just a continuous flow. And you'll see each individual plant is bent around in a circle to follow the, the, the motion of the circle.
0: Right. And
1: the plants will actually continue to grow because they're not snapped. They are still growing. They'll continue to grow, uh, not only laid down, but, in that curved motion that they were laid. Oh wow! That's number one. Uh, number two, uh, th- it's just a very neat lay. Um, it's not all kind of crisscrossed and tangled up. There aren't random plants sticking up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty well flat, very smooth. Uh, the other thing that's more interesting is uh, when you look at the, I believe the, the scientific term is the pulvini, but they call it the the nodes of the plant. So that's kind of it's like a, a joint in the in the stem of a plant. Okay. You'll see that those those joints are actually blown open.
0: Oh, wow. Um,
1: and the theory behind that is there's a group, a research group called uh, BLT Research um, that, that suggested that that was due to microwave radiation, heating by microwave radiation. So they, they determined that, or they, they demonstrated rather, that if you actually put a plant inside a microwave, microwave it for 30 seconds, the nodes will blow open like you find in crop circles. What's happening there basically is that Microwaves heat heat the water in your food, right? Right. Uh, and and those you know, plant, all plants have a lot of water in them, and there's the most water in those pulvini, in those nodes. So what's happening, or the theory is that those plants are being heated, which which makes them more malleable, allows them to be bent over. And the heating is so intense that the water inside the plant turns to vapor, uh, and which of course expands, and mm-hmm. the only way for it to escape the plant is to blow the node open and escape that way. Right. And there have been a few people that have claimed they've seen a crop circle being made uh, in real time, and just about everyone who says that say they, say they see a lot of steam rising off the formation as it's being made. So that would certainly make sense if these plants were being heated. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, uh, more evidence to support the heating hypothesis, you'll see flies actually melted on to uh, plants, onto like wheat heads, for example. Oh my goodness. Um, you'll see little bits of some, some charred plants, other things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and just generally, yeah, the, the circle's very neat, like the kind of wall at which the the laid plants meet the standing crop is, is very neat. It's like a solid wall. Yeah. There's usually some sort of um, central formation, some standing plants in the very center, like if it's a circle, there'll be a few standing stalks in the center, and sometimes some quite elaborate formations, like plants that have been kind of folded in, and it almost looks like a little, you know, centerpiece on a table or a fountain or something, and there's some really neat designs, you know, if you just Google those images. So yeah, there's all these markers Um, also no, no lines to the field. Like if you walk through a field when visitors come visit a crop circle, you know, they have to walk through the field and they trample a bunch of of crop on the way there. Right. So when you see an aerial shot of a a circle that's been visited, you'll see all these trails through the crop. Well, the genuine circle, when it's first found, will have no trails to the crop. There's no evidence that anyone walked there. There'll be no footprints, even uh, in muddy ground. And a lot of crop circles do actually form in stormy conditions. Um, you know, where there's, there's mud on the ground and there's not a single footprint anywhere. So it's not that we can't prove or at least have some very accurate determination of whether a circle is genuine or not. Um, but with all the circles being made these days, and some people suggest up to 95% of all circles out there now are hoaxed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just very hard for researchers, uh, to keep up with that. Mm-hmm. And not, not every circle can be visited by a proper team of researchers who are going to do you know, take plant samples and check the notes. Diligence all
0: and that stuff. sort of thing, yeah. Yeah,
1: especially since it's you know mostly amateur researchers that just don't have the funds to be flying around the world uh, and right. try to get in circles. You know, within 24 hours of them being made. Unfortunately, hopefully,
0: yeah. eventually, eventually we'll get there because I feel like it's a phenomenon that just uh, I like I like a lot of other anomalous phenomenon just needs should have some some real scientific attention um, paid yeah. to it. Yeah. Hmm. Absolutely, um, we've got a great question from Chad. Um, whatever this phenomenon is, um, why do you think it talks or communicates in riddles? Why never directly? For example, we can try and interpretate the crop circle, but is that mm-hmm. the actual message or a misdirection, like John Keel suggested in his book?
1: That is a very good question. Thank yeah. you, Chad. Um, yeah, thanks, uh, Max. That, great question, Max. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like. I, short answer is I don't have an answer to that, um, but it is one of the kind of central mysteries of, of most anomalous phenomena. It's another central mystery of UFOs. I mean, why do they? What? Why are all our exchanges with UFOs and aliens so bizarre and and you know right. often so trivial um, and, and strange? Um, and what's been suggested by a ufologist named Jacques Vallee, who I really like, and if you watch a lot of my videos, you'll know that I reference him a lot. But he suggested that the UFO phenomenon is trying to interact with humanity, uh, kind of at the level of mythology and culture. So they clearly really have no interest in our politics. Um, You know, they don't try to they don't try to prevent terrible politicians from taking over. They don't try to stop wars. They don't try to, you know, I know a lot of people think that, oh, UFOs are visiting to try to stop wars or save us from destroying ourselves with nuclear weapons. Doesn't really seem to be the case. I mean, you know, there are plenty of countries around the world, U.S. in particular, that is arming itself to the teeth, and the U.F.O.s don't seem to be doing anything about that. So I I would suggest it's a similar thing for crop circles. Um, They don't. There's no direct message that they're trying to send to us. There's nothing that they want us to do in the short term necessarily. Um, Perhaps they just want to, you know, influence our culture, our mythology, our belief systems in some subtle way that's going to kind of change the outcome of human history in the long term. Um, and I, you know, I don't know what their ultimate purpose is. Mm-hmm. Uh, wish I did. That's sort of the million dollar question. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one thing I could say with, with all anomalous phenomena I researched, the kind of outcome is always that they seem to leave the witness bewildered. They seem to leave the, the witness in in a state where they're, they you know, their their belief systems, their prior belief systems are blown open. Yeah, um, you know, oftentimes they're, they're physical materialists or they're atheists or they're whatever. They didn't believe any of this stuff going in and they have this experience that absolutely shakes them to their core and really causes, you know, a very deep uh, revaluation of all their kind of fundamental beliefs. Um, so if there's anything that unites all anomalous phenomena, I would say it's that. Um, so, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know what? I always wonder. Um, I I really like uh, the gentleman that you referenced his kind of take on it, and, and I always wonder as well if it's if it's not just almost some some kind of test. I mean, hilariously, when when we think back to Star Trek and kind of how they had rules with interacting with you know a quote unquote lesser species. I mean, I almost wonder if sometimes they're trying to speak in our level, especially with some of the bizarre interactions we've had, or and maybe just getting it wrong. Or I mean, with the case of these crop circles, they're like. Here's a clue. When you figure it out, we'll call. (laughs) You know, like something like that. I don't I don't know. But it's it's uh, it's pretty fascinating. And and kind of speaking to that about how, you know, you, you, you argue that maybe, you know, they're they're speaking more along the lines to our maybe mythology and culture. Let's talk about one of the crop circles that I think is one of the most interesting and always kind of blows my mind every time I look at it, why more people don't just Say, I mean, if crop circles aren't real, then what the hell is that? Um, right. And that's the alien face. Uh, so I'm gonna let you, cause you did a lot of research on that, Jason prior to, You know, I let you know that I kind of really wanted to deep, dive deep into this. So I'm gonna let you kind of speak on kind of what happened and was it an answer from that signal that we sent out into space and kind of, what did your research kind of lead you to believe about this particular crop circle formation?
1: Yeah. So basically the, uh, the, the alien face crop circle or the uh, Crabwood wood event, um, just because it, it occurred in a place called crab wood by Winchester in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in formed in 2002. Um, obviously people will, will look up pictures themselves, but it's basically a big kind of gray alien. Face. You can't
0: miss it. Like you, <laughs> you, <can't miss laughs> it. you did crop circle alien to come right up. <laughs>
1: yeah, And then within that there's this kind of circle with all like a kind of spiral of little dots. Mm-hmm. Um, And basically uh, people looked at that circle and kind of uh, realized that it was sort of a a spiral from the inside out and that all those dots could be decoded as um, binary uh, numbers, right? Ones or zeros. And if you take those binary numbers and translate them through the ASCII system, uh, which is just a way to kind of link up um, binary sequences with letters and numbers, then it, it spells out a message. And, uh, that message is, let me just bring it up here, because I don't want to... It's a very odd
0: message, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, so, so this message is.
1: message is, Beware the bearers of false gifts and their broken promises. Much pain, but still time. Then there's some unclear word. Some people think it says believe. And then it says, There is good out there. We oppose deception. Conduit closing. Um, again, you know, this is... A very vague message uh, doesn't really seem to communicate anything, you know, that we could really act on. Right. Uh, but again, I would say that that is that is consistent with other anomalous phenomena. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, anytime, for example, that people get a chance to speak with an alien or something that's abducting them, uh, usually the, the the things that they say are, are very vague. Uh, almost just seems like something that could have just been dreamt up by you know any, you know, two bit science fiction author or something you know right you know it's it's not the kind of thing you know we expect these people these these intelligences from higher civilizations or other dimensions or something to carry this like amazing cosmic wisdom that blows our minds it never really <laughs> seems to be that way right right, right. Um, now i don't know if that's a point in the in the circle's favor or not i don't know if that means it's 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 fake it was just made by humans or you know if, if it's genuine. And by the way, I want to make it clear that there is a debate over whether this is a genuine formation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Paul Vijay who's inspected this formation. Uh, he And he's kind of, you know, he was one of the guys that helped decode this message. His interpretation is that it is a fake crop circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another researcher named Lucy Pringle who's kind of a big uh, leader in the field. She believes that it's a, a genuine one, although mm-hmm. she has some doubts about it as well. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I don't know what to make of that message. It, it could be a message, uh, kind of directed towards all the hoaxers out there towards, mm-hmm. you know, the Bauer and Chorleys and all the other hoaxers and, you know, the, the media institutions and stuff that have declared an end to crop circles declared, <laughs> you know, that it, it's all been debunked. Right. Uh, it could just be a general message about our politicians or about our leadership that they're the, you know, the bearers of false information and, you know, the gifters of broken promises. Um, I don't know i mean again it, it's such a vague message you could really almost project any any, any kind of kind of medium.
0: do you that. think and curious in, in your research with those two the people who you know one believes it's false and and the other true uh but does anyone think that maybe we got we didn't decode it right i mean because i know that we see those you know that that pattern in the message and we automatically assume it to be binary is it possible it could have been something else Uh
1: Sure, um, um, I I haven't come across any other interpretation of it. Okay. Um, now, one of the problems with the interpretation, of course, um, you know, binary you could kind of consider a universal language, but the ASCII code system, which which translates um, binary sequences to letters and numbers, that is something invented by humans,
0: mm-hmm. and there's
1: nothing, you know, there's nothing inherently intuitive about it. Right. right. Like when we sent up the Are- Arecibo message into outer space to try to make contact with aliens, we, you know, we avoided the use of, of English or any other world language. And we right. tried to communicate in, in universal symbols that anybody with any culture and language would be able to understand. Right. right. So we use just basic number sequences, pictures and pictograms and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, yeah, as soon as you kind of draw from a, a code that was invented by humans uh, and only, you know, I think in the last 50 years or something, Mm -hmm. you are kind of putting like your own cultural interpretation on it. And you have to ask, well, if there's some other intelligence out there that's trying to communicate with us, would they really use, you know, a a, a system that was invented by humans just in the last 50 years? Would they not try to use some more universal system? Uh, I'm not sure. But yeah, to answer your question, sure, there could be another way to interpret this. Maybe we're completely wrong. But the fact that, you know, you run it through a binary sequence and then translate it to ASCII and it comes up with this perfect message, Mm -hmm. you know, basically no mistakes. I mean, it seems like quite a coincidence, right?
0: Right. Right, right, right. That's, uh, that's a uh, very, very... Yeah.
1: Of course, the other kind of culture-bound thing about that formation is that, it, mm-hmm. you know, it depicts what you'd call a gray alien, like one of those... Yeah. You know, like alien. Mm-hmm. alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, that, that, that's something that's very frequently seen by UFO abductees and, and yes. UFO experiencers, but that is not the only, you know, quote-unquote alien that has been seen.
0: Right.
1: Uh, in fact, I would say a lot of the abductions in the last twenty years or so don't see that that alien. I can not talk about that. Yeah, and you know one thing about the abduction phenomenon is that uh, you know it, it seems to be culture bound. It does seem to be related to our cultural assumptions. So um, I would say this is about the UFO phenomenon more generally: mm-hmm. but people tend to see the things that they kind of expect to see. And, That's very and interesting. Change over time, and it it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's uh, that's that's pretty that's pretty fascinating. Um, I'm just and I, and I know we didn't discuss this too much, so I'm just going to throw it out there, Jason. Um, I remember that there was a crop circle that was apparently an answer to a signal that we sent out into space. Did, were you familiar with that one at all?
1: Yeah, well, it was um, it was the Arecibo. Signal. That was the was, Arecibo, uh,
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: it was a response to the Arecibo signal. I don't know about that formation. I don't know if it's legitimate or not. Right. Uh, so I don't want to comment on that.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, Uh, definitely. Another very, very interesting one. Something else for anyone listening to go and definitely check out because apparently we sent out... uh a signal into space that just had very basic information about us and our genetic code and that sort of thing. And apparently we got a response back in the form of a crop circle. So another another interesting, really interesting one. Uh, Jason, before we take a break and when we come back from break, we're definitely gonna dive into UAP and the UAP phenomenon and abductions and and uh, maybe kind of linking all these topics together. But what would you say for you is one of the most kind of compelling crop circles or stories about crop circles that um, that kind of make you a believer in the phenomenon?
1: Yeah, I don't know that it's any particular circle. Mm-hmm. Um again, you know again this is my approach to anomalous phenomena in general. I would say any one thing could be hoaxed, any one circle could have been hoaxed. Um right. any one abduction story or any one UFO story could have been hoaxed. It's more just the you know the the totality of the evidence taken together uh mm-hmm. that that is compelling. And to me it's really um I think the the um The biological studies, like the plant studies, Mm -hmm. you know, those long nodes. Um you you kind of involve hard science and you can say, look, you know, this this plant was heated from inside. There was steam created inside this plant that blew the node open. You know, how do you do that with a a rope and board? You know? Um, so I think that's that's really the evidence that got me. Cause you know, when I went into researching crop circles uh for my video. I didn't really know that much about crop circles. And in fact, mm-hmm. going into it, I kind of thought crop circles were not real. Right. I, I kind of thought it was, uh, they were mostly hoaxed. Right. Uh, but of course, the more reading I did, the more I realized, no, like this, this is not something that could have been done with rope and board. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So a lot of the biological studies I would say got me.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and
1: I should say the historical ones too, because Bauer and Chorley, those first two hoaxers, mm-hmm. they, by their own account, they started making circles in, I think, 1978. Mm-hmm. And they clearly were not aware of all these photographs and all these um, descriptions of circles before that. Right. So to me, even if you accept the Bauer and Chorley story, okay, these guys made every single crop circle in England from 1978 on. Well, why are there circles in Australia in 1966? Why are there right. circles in Manitoba, Canada in 1977? Right. You know, there exactly. Has to be something right. more
0: phenomenon. Absolutely. Uh, it's my hope that one day somebody gets a really big fat research grant and can go and start uh, visiting these every 24 hours, kind of the way that the MUFON tries to respond to the uh, to the alien phenomenon and sightings in that such of way. So maybe one right. day we'll we'll get some some more interesting answers about uh, about crop circles. Uh, don't go anywhere, you guys. We're gonna take a quick little four minute break. When we come back, we're gonna dive deep into the UAP phenomenon, aka UFOs. Uh, talk about uh, what's going on with UFOs, UAPs today um some of the most compelling cases um abduction stories it's not all little green menu guys swear to god <laughs> we're gonna talk about that as soon as we come back don't go anywhere you're on christmas imagination podcast
1: when an enemy hires arden finch without realizing who or what she is arden risks everything to claim her forbidden elemental magic this hard-boiled private eye will have to save herself before she can save the world even as the gods and her own community stand against her Set in a supernatural North Carolina, Elemental is book 1 in a diverse new urban fantasy series. Kirkus Reviews called Elemental a genuine page-turner and gave the sequel, Eldritch Sparks, a starred review. Find Elemental at your favorite bookstore or save 10% when you buy directly from the author with code IMAGINATION10 at whwrites.com/shop until July 31st, 2021. Hey, guys, this is Mikey Flash from Speed Force Music. Do you need custom music for your podcast, YouTube show, or any other project? Then look no further than Speed Force Music. We have a library of royalty-free music ready to go in your show right now. Or if you'd prefer, we can also custom craft music directly to your specifications. So for your next project, look no further than Speed Force Music. We are on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash speedforce-music. Or you can find us on YouTube under Speed Force Music. Let us custom craft a song directly for you.
0: Thank you for listening to Crystal's Imagination Podcast. If you want to listen to a podcast similar, let me recommend The Delvin Cox Experience, a podcast in which each week I'm on a one-man mission to unite our culture diversity. Each episode, I interview a different guest trying to find out what makes them tick. I've had guests on such as James Gavsey, Crystal Storm, and many others. So, after you get through listening to all the Crystals podcasts, check out the Delvin Cox experience anywhere you get podcasts. Peace. Hello, Crystals Imagination fans. Enjoy this sneak peek from the sci fi novel, Synarchy, The Duology. The images crash to the surface of Vasco's consciousness and brought with them the vortex of two powerful emotions. They welled up in his chest, slamming into his gut, his groin, a raging heat spreading through his limbs like a wildfire. Something else controlled it. Jealousy, lust. Something else surrounded the light and dark, using them as they were meant to. Vasco's vision narrowed in, showing him the inside of the back of the car. The transition of time revealed itself in clarity. Snow fell around them lightly coating the private runway. Vasco heard her asking Stefano about his first wife. Then she said something Vasco knew Stefano never expected to hear. Even caught off guard, the response came naturally. Would you want to marry me one day? I already would. Then do it. Marry me. It was the one thing everyone envied, yet never truly understood about those two how they could possibly love one another so much. After a moment of lingering in the aftertaste, Vasco recoiled. Suddenly and violently, he was yanked from that memory and shoved into the next, some unseen force propelling him further into his mind. It grinded to a halt just as the jagged blade sliced open the skin on Stefano's back. Blood oozed from the wound, staining his dirty, sweat-laden flesh. His torturer picked up a bottle cap and shoved it into the open wound, twisting and digging the surprisingly ragged edges into the soft tissue. Vasco realized once more, he'd slipped into the role of Stefano Terenzio. And he was both participant and viewer as Stefano's fists clenched and strained against the metal chains that kept him prisoner. Another cut, another shove and it kept going until his entire back was aflame, his nerve endings writhing in agony as he struggled to bear it in silence. I hope you enjoyed this sneak peek of Synarchy the duology. Fans of The Godfather and Stargate will enjoy this mobster versus alien sci-fi conspiracy thriller filled with secret societies and the metaphysical wonders that underpin our reality. Get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, Scribd, or go right to the author's website, crystalsimagination.com backslash Synarchy, the duology. yeah and we're back welcome back to crystal's imagination podcast i'm your host science fiction author crystal storm here with my very 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 special guest he knows a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff and he makes amazing documentaries so you too can know all about the anomalous phenomenons that are happening right here on good old planet earth jason again thank you so much for being on the show we've just had a great discussion about uh crop circles um you covered some of the scientific points about how you can distinguish between someone who's making a crop circle versus one that's been genuinely made so i hope that's information that people can take with them and and kind of do their own research so now let's dive into what's near and dear to your heart and what you started making documentaries about ufos uh how did you get into that i mean when you you know when you were doing this project for school (laughs) why ufos
1: uh well i I guess my my interest in the in anomalous phenomena started when I was maybe in grade six or seven or something. I just pulled some book off the shelf in the school library, uh, and you know it was just one of those books like you know talking about the yeti, talking about the Loch Ness, all that, stuff. and I was just like yeah. fascinated, you know. Yeah. Um, absolutely blew my mind. So I think that kind of planted a seed. I had another similar experience in high school. Um, and I, you know, that's when I learned uh, about the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter of 1955, which is still my favorite UFO encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, very,
0: the... very briefly give like a quick sentence summary about that one. Cause there might be some people who are listening who have no idea what we're talking
1: about. Uh, basically, uh, it's a it kind of a, a um, it happened in Kentucky, it was the whole family. I think there was 11 people in this little primitive farmhouse. And uh, one guy sees a UFO kind of fly overhead and thought he saw it land behind some trees. And then about an hour later, you get these little like goblin creatures uh, with like big ears and they're sort of metallic looking, they're glowing. They kind of look like they're hovering off the ground. They moved in a really weird way. And the people in the house were so freaked out they pulled out shotguns, they were shooting these things. They said they heard like a metallic sound when it hit them but they couldn't seem to kill them. Uh, And you know, none of these creatures ever attacked or hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they kept trying to approach the house and get, you know, blown back every time they were shot. And this, I think it went on for, I can't remember, maybe a couple hours. Uh, and then about by daybreak, it just stopped. Uh, and they never saw these things again. Uh, so, kind of a fascinating... Imagine
0: fascinating what would have happened kid. if they had just invited them in. <laughs> I know. I know. You know,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> if you'd have said hi instead right. of don't move, I'll blow your right. head off. <laughs> Although I get it, I get it. If an alien looks like a cockroach, I'm probably sure, not going to say hi either. Yeah,
1: definitely, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, please continue. I, I, I was about, uh, I think I was about 22, and I don't know why, but I just decided, you know, I've been vaguely interested in UFOs all along my life. But, you know, I've always been told by you know debunkers like Neil deGrasse Tyson or Carl Sagan or these people. I've always been told that, oh, there's nothing to it. It's a bunch of nonsense. Mm-hmm. But that just didn't seem to make sense, you know, just given all the stories that you hear over over time, the fact that these stories keep coming, they've been coming for, you know, at the time I thought 50 or 60 years. Uh, there's police officers and military people and jet you know uh, pilots. And it just didn't seem to make sense that it could all be nothing. and yet there's just this mountain of, of evidence. So I kind of took it upon myself to do a little bit of research. I started with just, you know, basic Wikipedia kind of online research and uh, watched a lot of documentaries and stuff. And I think within maybe two or three weeks, I was like, okay, this is, there's something going on here. Like there's no way this is nothing. Right. And then I got into reading some books. I started with Edward Ruppelt's um, uh, report on UFOs. Uh, he was actually the, the director of project blue book, which was the U S government, um, uh, UFO research group for 20, 22 years. And yeah, and then I, I was just hooked. I mean, once I realized, once I was confident enough to declare, yes, these things are real, there is definitely a UFO phenomenon, I was just hooked. And, I, you know, I was just one of these guys that just couldn't put the subject down. Like, you know, I yeah. uh, just, so I just kept reading books. Um, and yeah, so by the time uh, I, I went to school and, 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 you know, had to do this project, I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll follow up on that interest.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we're glad you did. Uh, everyone, make sure that you are following the uh, Think Anomalous YouTube channel um, for some great documentary style videos about this phenomenon. So, uh, Jason, let's let's talk a little bit about you know uh, the subject about UFOs has been going on for so long. Like, I don't I don't think people realize just how I mean. Betty and Barney and, you know, everybody sort of those famous Travis Walton. I don't, Very few people, I think, have heard about the Battle of Los Angeles. They think it's that movie, but no, there actually really was. Um, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and now all of a sudden, 60 Minutes is doing documentaries on UFOs. Um, there's apparently a, a government report coming out and you and I were talking a little bit about this on break. So, you know, what's kind of your thought on, on kind of the UAP phenomenon and where it is right now?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, well... So for the longest time, up until about five or six years ago, um, okay. Well, let's start with Project Blue Book. So sure. the U.S. government made this this created this group to investigate UFOs. Uh, mm-hmm. Went through a couple of different names, but it was eventually called Project Blue Book, uh, and it was started in 1947 and ended in 1969. Mm-hmm. Um, Basic now for most of its existence, I do think there were a few years where the U.S. government was genuinely trying to determine what UFOs were. And you got to remember, in 1947, it was the Cold War. Um, they thought that these things were Soviet craft. And I think that's the only reason that the US government, US government got involved in investigating these things. I think if they would suspected right off the bat that, oh, they're probably extraterrestrials or probably something extra dimensional, I don't think they ever would have gotten involved because it really has nothing to do with the military. Right. But um, specifically, the US Air Force got involved because they thought that they were enemy spy planes or, or mm-hmm. something, right, enemy weapons of some sort. So they started Project Blue Book. Uh, and I think pretty soon realized, okay, these probably are not Soviet craft. I mean, the maneuvers that they're pulling off, the things that they're doing, um, probably could not be done, you know, at that time. I mean, could hardly be done now. Certainly right. wouldn't have been possible in 1947. So I think they they quickly realized, oh, okay, we got in over our heads here. Uh, you know, we thought that this was going to turn to be Soviet spy craft. It looks like it's maybe aliens or something. Uh, but how do you know? How do we tell the public that? How do we tell the public? oh yeah, there's all these things buzzing around sensitive airspace. They, you know, they, they fly over our airports. They they totally ignore our rules. And yet we don't even really know what they are. And we have no way of controlling them. Right. You know, the U.S. military cannot send that message to the people basically yeah. say, hey, we're not in control of our own skies, you know. right? Um, so they just tried to kind of bury the phenomenon. They tried really hard to debunk every sighting. They would, you know, appoint directors to the project that you know, didn't believe in UFOs and had no interest in, in furthering investigation. Yeah. And so they just dragged this out for a couple of decades and really tried very hard to debunk sightings. And they got a guy, their scientific consultant, J. Allen Hynek, uh, who was, a le- you know, a legitimate astronomer and a, and a good researcher and went on to become a, a UFO researcher and a quote-unquote believer. Um, but at the time, they hired him really to debunk sightings, and he he kind of understood that's what his role was. Anyway, by about 1969... I think the US government basically just got sick of of doing this. Uh, they they knew it. it was the Project Blue Book at that time was basically just a public relations effort. Uh, they didn't want to be involved in in UFOs anymore. They hated, you know, trying to debunk these things and constantly trying, you know, there were constantly people calling them and reporting sightings and they just didn't want to have anything to do with them. Right. So they set up this project um, with the University of Colorado Boulder um, called the Condon Report. And it was a two year study. Uh, they got uh, this guy, Edward U. Condon, who was a kind of a nuclear physicist, I believe, um, famous uh, scientist in the United States. They got him to, to lead this project, uh, mm-hmm. specifically because he also didn't believe in UFOs and, in fact, was very dismissive of the UFO phenomenon and, and ufologists and UFO believers. Mm-hmm. And they did this study, which, was, again, was kind of a sham, uh, very bad report, very unscientific report. Uh, and even though the report found that you know, 30% of the sightings that they examined could not be explained, Edward Condon wrote this ridiculous conclusion in which he claimed, well, there's nothing really of interest here. Uh, He claimed two things specifically. He said, uh, we should not study UFOs with the expectation that science will be advanced thereby. And second, UFOs pose no threat to national security. He didn't say UFOs weren't real. He didn't say they didn't exist. He -hmm. said, there's no point in studying them. They're not going to benefit science. They're not going to benefit the military. So once that report came out, those conclusions were issued, they closed Project Blue Book. They said, mm-hmm. there you go, that's our justification. We don't have to do this anymore, there's no point. And again, I want to you know, reiterate, they didn't say the UFOs didn't exist. And they actually directed people, they said, look, if you want to report UFOs, report it to MUFON or some you know, independent group. Right. Don't report it to Right. That's how things stood for, um, I guess, about 50 years. I feel like there's just uh, and-
0: no logic in either of those two sentences, but okay, mm-hmm. go off.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, no certainly not the first one maybe the second one but yeah um so you know for years you know if you talk to debunkers or if you talk to military representatives they would refer you back to the condon report they would say look we studied this the Condon report proved that there's there's nothing really to this there's no point in studying this well so what's really interesting is when things started to change in about 2017 um they kind of came out with the with the exact opposite message specifically on the national security issue Mm -hmm. so the story kind of starts really briefly with uh, Tom DeLonge of Blink-182. <laughs> oh, uh, nice yeah. Famously interested in UFOs, sang about it in some of his songs, publicly expresses his interest. Um, and basically as the story goes, and, and I encourage everybody to read an article by a guy named Robbie Martin on uh, the mysterious universe website uh, called the DeLonge delusion. And he goes into the history of Tom DeLonge's involvement with UFOs and basically shows that Tom basically made some calls to, um, I can't remember who exactly, within the U.S. military, or within the government. He had this idea of making these documentaries and uh, other kind of film projects, kind of talking about secret government weapons. And he wanted to kind of, you know, tie it into UFOs and stuff. And he wanted to collaborate with the U.S. government to get U.S. government money, I think, to help fund this stuff. Right. Uh, they said, oh, well, we're not really interested, but why don't you attend this, um, this employee event for um, Lockheed Martin Skunk Works, which is a weapons manufacturer in the United States. Tom goes to this this party and, uh, you know, meets some some important people who he didn't name, um, but and pitched his idea again. And then these people seemed interested. So Tom goes through this whole saga where he gets kind of linked up with other people within the kind of um, military industrial complex within the U.S. defense establishment. Right. And again, these are all you know secret meetings are all classified. He's not allowed to say who he met. But he, he you know, he was definitely talking to real generals and, you know, other figures within the intelligence community and things. And uh, they kind of sanctioned this project. Uh, and, you know, Tom started hyping this on social media for years. And finally, in about 2017, I think it was about the, the fall of 2017, he announces, Oh, he's making this group called To the Stars Academy. And um, won't get into it in too much depth, but basically... It was kind of this joint project where he was going to make, he was going to write fiction books and movies and stuff about UFOs and secret government technologies. Um, And at the same time, he was starting this like aerospace company who was bringing these researchers in who who were supposedly going to research like anti-gravity technology and all this stuff. A bit of a scam, in my opinion. I think he was just trying to make money, but it did coincide with this kind of government disclosure where the New York Times did this report on uh, this this, gov- this group that supposedly existed within the US government called the Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program, or AATIP, A-A-T-I-P. Mm-hmm. And uh, the head of that supposed project was a guy named Luis Elizondo. Mm-hmm. And he came forward, he was on Tom's team of Tooth Stars Academy, and he, he claimed that, yes, there was this group called the Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program. It ran from about 2007 to about 2012, and then it kind of ran out of funding and more or less stopped. But as the story goes, you know they were based, they were they were investigating UFOs specifically to try to determine whether they were threats to the United States or not, mm-hmm. and their conclusions were basically yes these things are a threat to the United States, um, you know mostly in the sense that they they violate sensitive airspace and things like that, um, and you know so the story was oh we are frustrated by this lack of funding the government isn't taking this seriously we're trying to take UFOs seriously so we need more money we need to you know kind of start this project up again. Um, And so, yeah, Tom kind of faded into the background. He had a kind of a disastrous interview on Joe Rogan where he just came across as really not credible. And he was actually replaced into the Stars Academy by Luis Elizondo. Mm -hmm. And now Luis Elizondo is doing, there's this um, reality show basically called Unidentified, I think on the History Channel. He's he's one of of the
0: big faces in the movement right now. Everybody's quoting him. He's on everybody's shows. Yeah, UFOs, Twitter's blowing up about it. Yeah, He's
1: now kind of the face of of the quote-unquote disclosure movement. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of where things stand now. There's been some more developments in the last couple of years, but um, it's basically Luis Elizondo and talking about this um, threat narrative. Yeah. And so that's also when UFOs kind of got rebranded as UAPs. And the term UAP actually comes from a British study from 1997, I think, called the Condine Report, not the Condon Report, very confusing, but, um, and they basically invented this term purely to try to throw UFO people off their trail. They didn't really want people looking up this this report. So they figured, well, if we call them UAPs instead of UFOs, you won't be able to search it on the internet because no, one, no one's gonna find it, right? Um but anyway, um Lewis Elizondo and the, the ATIP program adopted this new terminology. Again, I guess just to kind of you know break from the past of UFOs. But they also started throwing around this term advanced aerial threats, uh, which again, you know, assumes that it's a threat. Yeah. And this is kind of my problem with this whole narrative, because again, yeah. if you go back to the Common report, their whole conclusion was. These things are not a threat to national security right and i you know i would agree with that they definitely violate sensitive airspace mm-hmm. there's definitely been some events there was a, an event in 1967 where a ufo was seen to dis- disable some some uh weapons some warheads yeah,
0: that's a very fascinating video people should watch that and research that that's pretty interesting
1: yeah but in general these things don't attack people they don't attack fighters right. they don't fire any projectiles, you know, any time that anyone's tried to engage. I know there was a a UFO chase over Tehran in Iran in in, uh, 1976, Mm -hmm. and the pilot tried to fire missiles at this UFO, and for some reason his his weapon system was disabled immediately before firing. Mm -hmm. So these things don't seem to want to fight with people. Clearly their mission is not to destroy military bases or destroy fighters, because they, you know, have never really done it. So the whole idea that UFOs are a threat to national security, I think it's quite a stretch. Yeah. Uh, definitely, the U.S. government is not con- in control of them. They certainly, you know, they ha- they they do what they want, and they don't listen to our rules. But calling them a threat— God forbid threat.
0: that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and again, it, it completely contradicts the, co- the conclusions of the Condon Report, which yeah. we were told for 50 years was the final word on UFOs. Right? That's the very yeah. reason that we stopped I investigating mean- UFOs.
0: I I can almost see why the Condon report would say, you know, that they're not a threat to national security, because I mean, considering the time, you know, you didn't want to have anybody up in arms about it, right? They figured like they were high paranoia. Um, Mm -hmm. And now with the way kind of, at least down here in America, how mindset and culture is, I can understand phrasing it the way that they phrase it, because in a sense, like if in a sense, I mean, the UFO, I'm gonna agree with you, Jason, that, I mean, if they were going to do something at this point, they would have done it. And so, I mean, no, they're not a threat. But if it's something that you can't match with, our military has the capacity, like you said, to just disarm your system, shut down your nukes, then yeah, sure, it's a quote unquote threat in that manner. But in the same time-
1: Threat maybe, Right,
0: yeah. yeah. But I mean, I I, I don't think they're here for any aggressive purpose. Quick question from chat: uh, Do you expect anything from this supposed report that's supposed to come out from uh, from the Pentagon uh, to deliver really. to Congress?
1: Yeah, not really. I mean, there's already the New York Times just in the last week or so put out this um, an article on what we're we're supposed to expect from this report. So someone someone from this report, someone with has knowledge of this report, leaked some information to the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And what the New York Times said was, well, basically the report's going to conclude that there's no direct evidence that these things are extraterrestrials. Of course. Which, again, I would agree with. I don't think there really is any direct evidence. There's kind of circumstantial evidence. They, they right. certainly could be extraterrestrials, but I wouldn't jump to that conclusion. Uh, and basically, it says, well, don't expect much else from this report beyond that. Right. Uh, so, no, I, I'm not expecting any big bomb to be dropped. Um, but what I think it is going to do, and what I think all of this kind of recent disclosure stuff is doing, is again, trying to hype these things up as threats and trying to really stress how, um, how, how behind the U.S. military is military is compared to these uaps and that's what you find throughout this all this disclosure stuff that's what louis elizondo keeps saying marco Marco rubio uh, senator is another guy who's really yeah interested and he keeps saying oh well you know uh, these things dance circles around our fighter jets like we're so far behind you yeah, know let's and dump
0: another five billion dollars into the military industrial complex exactly. like, right
1: yeah what if these are Chinese what if these things are, are Russian like right. they're dancing they're not
0: drums. guys they're not <laughs> yeah.
1: so they're, they're trying to basically say and there's this big focus now on hypersonic technologies they say well these things seem to be able to achieve hypersonic speed so that's something we need to do you know if these things can do it we got to do it too right and uh so basically you know my interpretation of this thing Uh, Is basically that it's just sort of a ploy. It's a um, a PR stunt basically to try to get young people specifically interested in uh, secret government technologies, uh, Mm -hmm. interested in the military, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: really to try to to kind of manufacture consent for pouring more money into the military industrial complex and specifically pouring more money into the U.S. Space Force, which of course Trump just created. Uh, Now it's kind of a big goal of the U.S. government, of the U.S. military to weaponize space and achieve dominance in space. And I think UAPs is kind of their way of doing that. Right? They say, well, there's this. What a
0: disservice to this phenomenon. It. What I mean, this is why This really. is why these, these you know, and, and, and I know you won't chase it in that spot. I'm going to go so far as to say they're extraterrestrial. And this is why they won't fucking talk to us. This shit right here. This is why. This is why they come down, they fly around, they observe us, and then they fucking leave. This is why.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: know I want to break yeah.
1: As we said on the break, um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sound like too much of a downer on this. I mean, I appreciate that the New York Times is talking about Absolutely. UFOs now. I appreciate Shame. yeah The people in positions of power are now encouraging people, no, you got to take this seriously. This is real. I think that's a step forward and that's great. Mm-hmm. But I just, I don't see a really good representation of the UFO data there. I mean, again, you know, as I've kind of alluded to several times in this interview, there's all these kind of anomalous connections to other phenomena. UFO events are often seen in con- in conjunction with not only crop circles, but, Apparitional experiences, um, all these other anomalous phenomena—they all seem to be tied together in some way. There's a lot of weirdness uh, what J.L. and Heineck called high strangeness to UFO sightings. Uh, I myself let's, had a UFO. Yeah, in- you
0: know what? Let's 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 talk a little bit about that because—and uh, if you don't yeah. mind going a little bit over time, I, I don't. I yeah. definitely want to respect your time. Um, because I mean, it, when we talk about you know, quote unquote national security, everybody you know talks about abductions and everybody's like horrible abduction experiences with aliens. But I know some people have not had horrible experiences; They've just had really weird ones. So, I mean, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of your research into that? And then maybe a little bit more into some of, like you said, the anomalies that surround, you know, when people see a UFO, that's not all they see. Something else is also
1: happening. Right. Um, Well, I guess maybe the first thing to say is... um, you know, as I kind of alluded to earlier, uh, there it, it, the things that we see in the sky seem to kind of be seem to have some relation to our own technologies. So if you go back to some of my videos, I just recently did a video on medieval flying ships. Mm-hmm. So there were these what I would call UFO sightings in the Middle Ages, of um, like literal ships flying in the sky, like wooden ships with sails and things. And there's these <laughs> stories. We're not really sure how accurate they are. You know, they're probably embellished over time. But mm-hmm. there's these stories. Of, you know, a ship flying over. Uh, It's attributed to several different places in Ireland and the UK, but somewhere in Ireland probably. And the ship dropped an anchor to the ground. And then the people on the ground saw this anchor, looked up this rope and saw the ship floating in the sky. And then this sailor, this human-looking sailor, jumped off the ship and and swam down through the air as if he was swimming through water to try to retrieve this anchor. Um, Then in the late 19th century, in 1896 and 1897, there was a wave of what they called mystery airships over the Mm -hmm. United States. Uh, I also did a video on that. I encourage you guys to look that up. And what people saw were, you know, distinctly 19th century technologies. They saw Mm -hmm. things with flapping wings, which we know, you know, you can't make a machine fly with flapping wings. That's impossible as we we understand it. They saw uh, like Zeppelin-like things, uh, just a whole bunch of bizarre contraptions, things with like downward facing propellers and all these mechanisms for generating flight that have since been disproven. And you got to remember in 1896, 1897, you know, the Wright brothers hadn't flown the airplane yet. People were actively working. People were very, very, very interested in flight technology at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it had just kind of reached a point where people finally believed that flight was possible. But they hadn't, no one had built a heavier than air flying machine at that point. And certainly nothing that, you know, achieved the maneuvers that people were seeing. And yet there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of newspaper articles of people claiming to see these things. All over the United States, from California down to Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, again, you know they're UFOs in every sense of the term. They're unidentified flying objects or unidentified aerial phenomena. Right. But they're not you know, the spinning disks that we see today.
0: They're matching and... the technology at the time that they're being seen. Exactly. Let's speculate. Do you think that's on purpose? Almost like don't show them something that's going to blow their mind any harder than, than what, I mean, because you imagine being in the middle ages and you see a fly, how would you even right. talk about it? Like, what would you right. even say? Would they even have the words to describe something like that?
1: Yeah, I mean that—that's—that's that's one interpretation of the data that they're somehow, you know, that they are, you know, an extraterrestrial civilization that they're visiting us and they're—they're they're showing up in technologies that that you know wouldn't freak us out, like you said. But again, you know, some of these, especially those 19th century. Well, first of all, the flying ships in the Middle Ages. I mean, you can't fly a ship in the sky. I mean, right. I think it goes without saying that that's yeah. impossible, right? Right. Can't. Do uh, it. Again, you know, uh, a big machine with with flapping wings couldn't fly either, or little downward facing propellers. I mean. Enough, the things yeah. that we were flying were not the things that we successfully flew, you know, 10 or 20 years later. Right. So I think it's highly improbable that these things actually, you know, could have worked. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. My my theory, and this is sort of the theory of Jacques Vallée and John Keel, mm-hmm. um, is that it is something, maybe aliens, maybe something extra dimensional. I don't know. But they have some way of interacting with our consciousness where they can actually make us see what we expect to see. Mm-hmm. And maybe, like you said, a way not to. Freak I like us that. Out.
0: Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah.
1: And again, if you assume that they're 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 trying to influence our culture or our mythology, mm-hmm. um, they just want to kind of subtly flip in, you know. And again, not blow our minds too much, so they they show up in a way that makes sense to us. Um, and and that's why you know in the last 50, 60 years they they've disguised themselves as aliens because we believe in aliens. That's something that fits into our worldview. Even if you're a materialist or you know an atheist. Uh, you don't believe in any anomalous phenomena. You'll believe that aliens are real because that's evolution, that's science, and you know, interplanetary right. space travel is possible. All that stuff. Um, so yeah, um, kind of uh, got off track there. I guess, no, it's but... it's,
0: a, it's a, it, that was a, a great tangent, and it, it really, it's good food for thought. Good food for, as as to why, as to right. why we're seeing. I mean, we're I mean we're having all these sightings. You know, at, that far back, but. The sightings subtly changed. I guess depended on who is looking at them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and let's 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 talk a little bit about abductions. I mean, you said yourself that you know we you had that that in Kentucky where they look like goblins in some high tech armor. Um, right. You know, they're not all just green aliens. What are some other you know strange abduction stories that you that you have heard?
1: Oh, just in terms of the, the forms of the aliens. Uh, yeah, sure. Let's start there. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, the the first point to make there is that like almost as many things as you could imagine have been seen. Interesting. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people, especially people that, you know, want these things to be aliens or want them to be extraterrestrials, they tend to kind of seek out the data that, that fits that model. Right. And, you know, once the kind of gray-eyed, you know, or the gray alien kind of got established in the late 80s, uh, and, you know, the spinning disk kind of got established in the 50s, they only kind of wanted to seek out cases that, that matched with that. Right. You know, so if someone reported something other than a, a silver disc, they said, oh, well, that's probably not a real sighting. Or if somebody reported, you know, uh, a human being or something that looked like a human being stepping off a the UFO, they would say, oh, well, that couldn't have been real. Oh. Um, but really, you know, if you look at the data and its totality, there's tons of different things being seen. I mean, in the 1896 and 1897, all these things were piloted by things that looked like humans. Interesting. Um, a lot of people that there's one kind of archetype of alien that people call the uh, Nordic type, which is just mm-hmm. like a tall tall, like, kind of Nordic Caucasian, you know, with, with blonde hair and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, um, there was the uh, Zemfretta case, which I did a, a, a video on. Uh, An a Italian guy in the late 70s who got abducted and said that there were these, like, three-meter tall, big green aliens with gills on them and things. That's amazing. Um, okay. Yeah, Very, very scary. I mean, there's just a huge variety of, of things seen. Uh, so again, mm-hmm. to me, that's another reason to suspect, well, maybe they're not extraterrestrials because if they are, then you have to assume that there's like hundreds of different civilizations visiting us at the same time, mm-hmm. which is possible, of course. I mean, if you assume that the, the universe is full of light, that's possible. Okay. Uh, but some sometimes people see just, you know, a, a creature, that's just a ball of light, you know, or a silhouette or like a shadow person. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been at least a few cases where people said, you know, people were skeptical of what they were seeing. And they told their abductors, they said, you know, show me what you really are. And these things, you know, the, what was originally a, a gray would just change form right before their eyes, yeah. you know, and, and turn into a, a human or like a reptilian
0: mm-hmm. or
1: something else. So I tend to think that, you know, the forms that we see in the ships that we see are not necessarily what they truly are in a physical sense, mm-hmm. that it's some sort of projection or some sort of illusion or, or, you know, it's them getting inside our consciousness and making us see that but it's not their true form. Hmm. I, for one, I, you know, I tend to believe that these things are, I I mean, I don't know what, but extra 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 dimensional rather, or some sort of spiritual phenomenon, Mm -hmm. um, that they're not necessarily, you know, jumping in a little ship and flying over here from another planet, but they're somehow entering our reality or manifesting in our reality and taking on some physical form that kind of makes sense to us or you know or that will kind of achieve the effect that they want to achieve and freaking us out or having us believe something.
0: That's fascinating. That yeah. that's uh that's really really fascinating. Um in, in the last little bit of time we have Jason, uh talk a little bit about um how you have seen kind of all these anomalous phenom- phenomena linked together. What what has been kind of a, any kind of strange kind of connections or maybe just talk a little bit about how you know like you said if you see a crop circle, you'll probably see a UFO, and then maybe you'll see a ghost. Like, yeah, talk a little bit about that.
1: Uh, yeah, so um, for one, this was something that a, a guy named Whitley Streber um, mentioned. Uh, he he was an abductee himself in the late 80s, and he actually popularized the image of the gray alien on the cover of his book Communion in 1986 or 87. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kind of went on and did a bunch of study of his own, he talked to a lot of abductees and uh, got a lot of letters from abductees. And what a lot of them said was that they they— saw apparitions of people usually dead dead relatives or something either right before a a ufo sighting or right after a ufo sighting um some you know sometimes people that are abducted and are on these ships see something other than aliens again they might see dead relatives and they might see other humans on this ship uh they might see other little creatures like um whitley strieber saw these little dwarf creatures these little like all black kind of dwarf things in these hoods um he saw a whole variety of things. Um, um, I, I as I kind of alluded to earlier, I had my own UFO sighting in 2013. Yes, and please about tell three, us. Three weeks before that, I had a dream that I had a UFO sighting. Wow. So I had a dream. I, I live here in Toronto. My parents have a, a farm a few hours outside of Toronto. Um, and while I was sleeping here in Toronto, I had this dream that I was on my parents' farm and saw this UFO. Well, three weeks later, I'm on my parents' farm with a friend of mine. And we both, sure enough, saw a UFO um the sighting wasn't exactly like my dream it was just sort of a point of light that danced around in the sky and then kind of reappeared on the on the horizon and started changing colors and then just vanished before our eyes uh the interesting thing about that you know not only did i kind of have a premonition of that through a dream but that night my friend who lives in ottawa which was like a 7 hour drive away that very night this semicircle appeared on the side of his house his wife called him the next day to tell him sent him pictures and stuff and it turns out there was a, a perfect semicircle actually burnt into the siding of his house like singed what they tried to bring it off they thought it was painted on or something at first they couldn't scrub it off and that apparently appeared the night of our ufo sighting this the, despite the fact that we were seven hours away so to me like that kind of suggests that I, right it <laughs> kind of suggests that there's there was some interaction with him on a conscious level like You know, it's not that, oh, we just happened to be in the right place at the right time and just saw this UFO wandering through. Mm -hmm. It wanted us to know, no, I know who you guys are. It it told me in advance, three weeks in advance, that it was going to appear to me. Mm -hmm. And it wanted it to know that it knew who he was, too, and knew where he lived. So it marked his house just to say, look, you didn't just happen to stumble upon me. I know you. I appeared to you for a reason. Mm and I'm Alien was here. Yeah. (laughs) Or something. Yeah. Wow. You know, those things are kind of hard to account for with just your standard kind of um extraterrestrial kind of yeah you know exploring earth like one of the big theories in the 50s and 60s was well they're just doing a geological survey they're just here to you know take some rock samples and study right. humanity right. Well, why would there be these kind of psychic connections in that case you know yeah yeah so.
0: there's a there's a lot of uh quote unquote woo around the phenomenon so i mean if anything comes from uh you know UFOs kind of quote-unquote moving mainstream. I don't know how far mainstream they're going, but at least maybe get out of conspiracy theory circles and people not taking them seriously. Um, I hope there becomes a, a, wide few, a wider kind of scientific study that kind of takes everything into account. Like you said, people would just say, well, I'm only interested in green aliens, but aren't doing what right. you're doing, which I think is phenomenal. And other researchers are doing and just looking at the whole of the phenomenon and saying, you know, is this a dimensional thing is it aliens and a dimensional thing which of these sightings are could we attribute to maybe someone visiting us versus somebody came in through a dimension versus is this some kind of paranormal phenomenon like what are we seeing here and what ties it all together um i'd love for them something serious to be done about that that really kind of gives it the kind of attention that it deserves especially if we're going to start treating these things as a quote-unquote threat then let's do this Mm -hmm. correctly not just from a military standpoint right exactly that's just my two cents. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Jason, you've been a phenomenal guest. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I'd love to have you back sometime as well to talk about some of the different phenomenon that you that you uh, discuss on your YouTube channel because we could talk for a whole other hour, I think, about... Uh,
1: shadow Absolutely. people like and you just scratched the surface
0: really. oh we didn't even yeah we didn't even really dive deep here this was like a yeah. beginner's course for right. for this topic i mean just abductions alone there are so many stories and you've researched some of them so guys yeah he can totally play tabletop with this bander yeah uh <laughs> everyone uh please make sure that you visit jason's youtube channel it is think anonymous i'm not i can't say that word say the word for me jason i swear to god anomalous Thank you. Uh, Please go to his YouTube channel. Um, There's just, oh my goodness, The Science of Reincarnation. Uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. Well, that's the one with the goblins. He's just got um, the aerial school UFO landing in Zimbabwe. I'm just reading you some of the videos that he's got there. They're wonderfully done. They're documentary style, um, great information in them. Jason is a phenomenal, phenomenal researcher. So please go and check out his channel. Um, Jason, I know you're not just on YouTube anymore. You're branching out. So please pimp the hell out of yourself and tell everybody where they can find you and your work.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're just kind of in the process of getting videos uploaded to other things. But you can find us on Odyssey, which is actually kind of a, a clone of YouTube. I think it's all the same videos, but a better search engine uh, on Rumble, uh, on BitChute. Uh, basically, just look for us anywhere you are, because we're, you know, we're constantly trying to upload to, to new platforms. So if there's another platform that you use, you don't like YouTube, please give us a search there as well. We're on uh, Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Please follow us there. Uh, yeah, but you'll always be able to find us on YouTube as well.
0: Definitely. Definitely, definitely. So keep asking questions, you guys. Take the phenomenon seriously. And if little green men or little goblins show up outside your house, say hi before you shoot them, please, so we can get some research. Ask where they came from. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, please. Please. And then call MUFON. Call MUFON. Right. Call them. There's <laughs> nothing. All right. Uh, you are listening to Chris's Imagination Talk Show. I am your host, and I'm a science fiction author. And I... Put all these topics in my books, which is why I talk about them. Please come back next week. It's going to be a pre-recorded show, but that's only because my guest lives in Australia, and we're not going to do this live at seven a.m. <laughs> so that's why it's a pre-recorded show. But we'll be talking about the paranormal. Uh, Gary Anderson is a ghost hunter, so I will be terrified the entire show because I do aliens, but I don't do ghosts. That's my line. That's that's I don't talk to ghosts. I don't want to know nothing about no ghosts. I don't want to see ghosts. If an alien shows up, we can talk. If a ghost shows up, it's got to get the fuck out. Um, so we're going to talk to him all about the paranormal and his ghost hunting um, and uh, some tips and tricks if you want to get into it and how to take that topic seriously as well um, and not just you know download the, you know, the EVP app on your phone and think that you're going li- to... Whatever, I'm not even going to talk about it. Anyway, uh, that is next Tuesday and the Tuesday after that we are going to talk to a gentleman named Christopher. Um, he is a witch, and he is going to give us a deep dive into all about the craft. Um, and, you know, if you want to jump into yourself and beginner's tips, and he's written books about witchcraft that I feel like should be taught in school because they're just so good and about magic and all. He's got a very practical um, uh, uh the way about him and to how he approaches witchcraft, witchcraft and it's just wonderful so those are my last two guests for the month of July. Stick around we've got a whole nother wealth of topics that we're going to be covering in August. We'll have Jason back probably if not in August and definitely in October or September and we'll talk about that and reincarnation and there's all kinds of stuff that we want to talk about here in Chris's Imagination so stick with us. If you are watching on YouTube make sure you hit that like button if you are listening to us on a podcast episode of your network of your choice you know what to do. Subscribe, review comments all that shit buy my books the sonarchy series christmasimagination.com and i will talk to you all next tuesday my twitch family stick around i'll be back in like 10 minutes we're gonna do some gaming we'll be back Well, hey, Crystal here. I wanted to thank you personally for joining us for this episode of Crystal's Imagination, of the talk show. I hope you'll take a quick second to drop us a like, subscribe, leave a comment and or a review. I would love to hear your feedback. If you have a guest suggestion, drop me a line at talkshow@crystalsimagination.com, at or you can just send me a note and we can be email buddies. Want more podcasts? You can also check out the serialized fiction podcast of the same name, Crystal's Imagination. You'll find it on my YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out all the information down in the description. Till next time.